That's the sound of another sale on Shopify. In store. Shopify POS is everything you need to sell in person. From payments to inventory, Shopify unites your sales into one commerce platform. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash retail 23. Shopify.com slash retail 23. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, I'm Matt Kelly. And I'm Matt Dancona. And this is the two mats for the week ending Friday, the 1st of September. A pair of law-abiding citizens, it says here. Matt, what did we talk about this week? Oh, we had lots to talk about this week. We talked about the thrilling uh, elevation of Mr. Grant Chaps. And we talked about Ulez, Ulez vandalism and uh, Tory hypocrisy. And, and we also we also had a, a a game of two halves about Luis Rubiales, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, we had one of our rare domestics about uh, Rubiales, although it was a semi-domestic, I'd say. You know, it was a kind of quasi-domestic. No doors were slammed or ceramics yeah, broken. I think I'm going to give you the, the the home win on that match. <laughs> I think. Well, the VAR will have to check that one out. <laughs> what are we going to call this week's episode? Uh, Grant Five Jobs Chaps. Uh, I like that very much indeed. Let's do that then. Should we go with that? Five jobs, chaps. Five jobs, chaps. So this is the two mats, episode 11. Five jobs, chaps. Enjoy. Enjoy. So, Matt, we're recording this on the morning of, or just actually lunchtime of Thursday, and what's just happened this morning? Well, it has been a morning of um, unmitigated excitement, as uh, Ben Wallace, who we knew was going to be uh, replaced as Defence Secretary, he announced that he wanted to step down in the middle of July, and he's going to be replaced by Grant Shapps. Now, the immediately comic thing to observe about that is that... um, Grant Chaps has done five, count them, cabinet posts in a year. Business secretary, home secretary, a role he held for all of six days between Suella Braverman's uh, two <laughs> glorious tenures of that office. Uh, then transport secretary, energy and net zero secretary, and now defence secretary. It's interesting on a couple of levels. One is that I think um, we have to say... Ben Wallace, against a fairly low bar, has been one of the more impressive members of this government. Um, He called the uh, retreat from Kabul very accurately. He read the intelligence, saw the Taliban was making big gains. This is in 2021. And unlike Dominic Raab, the then foreign secretary, who was incredibly dozy and didn't see what was happening, Wallace was saying to uh, number 10, you got to prepare you know to the limited extent that we did get people out that has a lot to do with Wallace the other thing he he did impressively was training Ukrainians before the invasion again he had a 
I don't think he necessarily knew that there was going to be a full-scale invasion by Putin, but he certainly knew there was trouble ahoy. And so, you know, his his legacy at defence has been not too bad. And, um, you know, the other thing to say about Ben Wallace is that he was consistently in uh, polls of Tory members, their favourite cabinet minister, uh, which leads to the question, why did he never stand for the leadership? Well, there's been unsubstantiated and often denied allegations about his private life who knows but in any case he he never did stand for the leadership and he amazingly and and not to his credit last October when Boris Johnson you recall was trying to come back flying back from the Dominican Republic Ben Wallace said I'm inclined to support Boris Johnson which I don't think goes down uh, to his credit on, on on the ledger but, you know, he's a former captain in the Scots Guards, he's a serious expert in defence policy. And he's being replaced by Grant Chaps, which kind of um, <laughs> tells you all you need to know. Who is an expert in selling encyclopedias. Yes, and in pseudonyms, as we know, because he's had many names, Michael yes. Green and others over the years. Um, I mean, what Chaps is, is, A, he's a Sunak loyalist. He briefly ran for the leadership himself last July, but then very quickly folded and backed Sunak and was very much a Sunak loyalist during the the brief Truss premiership. And he's long been regarded as someone you can send out on uh, the Sunday media round, on the Today programme. He's a punch bag. He, he doesn't fold under questioning. Um, he doesn't necessarily say very, anything very interesting under questioning, but Sunak trusts him. I, I, I would question whether he has a huge amount to offer to the future of the nation's defence strategy. But what you can see is that uh, Sunak is surrounding himself with loyalists, uh, promoting loyalists. He's put uh, Claire Coutinho into Shaps's old job. Uh, energy and uh, net zero. Uh, Clacatino was a special advisor to Sunak at the Treasury, amongst other things. So, you know, it's not hard to work out that he's he's rewarding loyalists, um, and and that tells you a lot about the, the the defensiveness that Sunak understandably feels at the moment. The broader point I feel needs to be discussed is is the lack of stability in government we've had since the Brexit referendum in the last seven years I mean I was going through the list and when it's interesting exercise when you go onto Wikipedia and you say tell me all the foreign secretaries in the 20th century (laughs) you know and the list for the last seven years occupies about six inches and and then every previous decade it might be a couple of inches you know and 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 in the last seven years Great Britain has had five prime ministers, seven home secretaries, seven chancellors, and seven foreign secretaries, just to cover the great offices of state. Now, compare yeah, that to the 10 years of Tony Blair. You had, obviously, one prime minister, two chancellors. Um, no, you had one chancellor, didn't you, Gordon? One, Brown, one chancellor, yeah, 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 all the way through. Yeah, one chancellor. And that I think we can come back to because I think that is the key relationship, isn't it? That needs to work. So you yes. had that. You had four foreign secretaries in ten years. You had. You did have six home secretaries, but it, again in ten years. Thatcher, her eleven years. You had three home secretaries, three chancellors, and three foreign secretaries. So you can clearly see wow. 
over a period of seven years, it's just been absolutely revolving doors, hasn't it? Revolving doors, mayhem. How can anybody accomplish anything if the tenure of your job is 12 months, 18 months? You know, how can you bed in any kind of strategic response to anything in that period of time? And if, 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 if Great Britain was a publicly listed company, the stock price would be in the penny shares basket because... Nobody yeah. would look at the management of that company and say they're serious. Because with that turnover seriously. of staff, how can you do anything? Uh, I mean, 2022 alone, you know, we had three prime ministers and four chancellors as the exchequer. Um, how could one take yeah. a, a, a nation seriously? And indeed, we know from reading the foreign press that people don't take it seriously and regard it as a kind of volatility that Brits used to criticise in other nations like Italy and so on and mock. Well, you know, look at us now. It's an embarrassment. It's a national embarrassment. It's also a sign of structural incompetence and also weakness, because I think that he makes changes, Sunak makes changes where he has to, but he hasn't made changes where he he, he ought to. So the, the screamingly obvious change you should have made today is to get rid of Suella Breverman, right? Twice Home Secretary, total disaster on both cases. From whatever angle, whether you take a more liberal approach to immigration or to a more sort of right wing, you know, get the numbers down, strong borders approach, she's been a disaster. And the small boats Rwanda policy has been both a legal and a logistical and a humanitarian disaster. And we only have to think of the the sort of symbolic ridiculousness of the Bibi Stockholm barge to realise that. She should be gone, uh, but she isn't gone. And there's a reason for that, which is that Suella Braverman delivered Rishi Sunak the leadership of the Conservative Party last October when Boris Johnson crazily was flying back from the Dominican Republic in order to run only seven weeks after he'd left office and... Braverman clearly on a promise of being returned to the Home Office, displacing chap poor old chaps, said no, 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 it should be Rishi Sunak, and you know Rishi Sunak uh, fears her on with good reason on the back benches because she's become a sort of uh, figurehead of the you know na- the national conservative anti-immigration, anti-European Convention on Human Rights Toryism that I think is going to become more and more prevalent. So he hasn't done anything about her. Now, there is a steer, not a briefing, but a steer that there may be more to come in October. But I think that's hooey myself. There might be some changes, but Sunak has a a bunch of dates coming up, right? He's got what may be his last uh, party conference before the general election in October in Manchester. Then he's got, at some point in November, the autumn statement. Jeremy Hunt will give and then I think it's on yeah it's November the 7th uh the king's first king speech and these dates are sort of being presented by number 10 as it's a cluster of you know a a reset for the government and there's a insinuation that there will be more shifts around the cabinet well we'll see this would have been the moment at Mm. the end of the summer after disaster you know the disaster of um stop the boats week which we all you know observed and were you know appalled by to just call a halt on the braverman issue 
but but he hasn't yeah. and so to me that's the dog that didn't bark it really is and it seems impossible or really really far-fetched that the conservative party seems to be in such a state of 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 chronic instability that if you're looking for a kind of meeting of minds a pairing that that essential double act and i'm talking largely about the prime minister and chancellor relationship mm. that can effectively drive through strategic change in the country when you know britain in my lifetime maybe once or twice before it's felt like this was a pivotal moment of where a nation needed strategic leadership and change it, it seems impossible that Rishi Sunak and Jeremy Hunt are, are going to be, you know, the Blair and Brown or the Cameron and Osborne or the Thatcher and Lawson of the 2020s. You know, it's not going to happen, is it? Which then leads you to what this country desperately needs is a change of government. Isn't that the only answer? Yeah, it is the only answer. I mean, Jeremy Hunt's an interesting character because he is perhaps the last sort of representative of... Um, I mean, he has his detractors and lots of people have strong views, uh, understandably, about his tenure at health, which was, I think, the longest ever. Uh, but, you know, he's, he's indisputably a one nation conservative, a technocratic conservative. And the, but the party made very clear it did not want him as leader. You know, it, it just didn't want someone that old school as leader. So he was brought in as a kind of firefighter after the disaster of Kwasi Kwarteng as Chancellor by Liz Truss. Let's, you know, it was Liz Truss that appointed him, not Sunak. Sunak keeps him. Hunt has kept an incredibly low profile since then. A really, really, I mean, barely seen. And I think that the reason for that is that he is presented with a, you know, a, a, a pretty unappealing set of factors, you know, kind of givens, which is how the hell do we get inflation down? How the hell do I keep spending within reasonable limits? How the hell do I keep the party on side? How do I keep a increasingly, you know, nervous and edgy prime minister in his box? I think Jeremy Hunt's memoirs, when this is all over, will be really worth reading. But to your point, yeah. Matt, I mean, absolutely. You need to see that Blair Brown, early Thatcher, Lawson kind of team up there all the time arguing and you sort of get the feeling yeah. that Jeremy Hunt is buried in a in a you know deep deep vault somewhere in the treasury trying his best to make the figures yeah. add up uh, and trying somehow to yeah. get to the point where they can deliver what Sunak desperately wants which, which is a tax cut promise before the next election but it's all got very tawdry and shabby you know this is not a top team that it feels rudderless doesn't it it feels as if the ship of state is just veering from one side to another i mean i i've been listening to the um audio book of the anthony selden cameron yeah which which you feature in regularly um and i didn't appreciate <laughs> just how close you were to the uh to the cameron lobby but according to this anyway so but yeah no you're spoken of several times in very uh high estimation about um your insight, which I'm sure the listeners of this great podcast, I say great, immodestly, this this podcast will be enjoying. Mighty, 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 I think is a better word. The mighty, this mighty podcast. Even Cameron and Osborne, who, I mean, I, I, I found pretty much everything they did 
reprehensible. We can argue the toss about that in a future date. But he, what comes through clearly is that there's a dynamic between the two and an understanding and a sense of partnership and a willingness to manoeuvre and compromise and bend with the, the wind. And you don't see that uh, now. What you see is a very fractious set of individuals all in a state of slight panic and bemusement and discombobulation and the country i feel is now reflecting that i don't think anybody understands what britain stands for anymore i don't think anybody understands what our strategy is for improving the things that we all depend on day to day like infrastructure like the nhs like education like employment like immigration nobody's got a bloody clue about that so i feel we are slightly not slightly mightily adrift as a nation and i don't quite you know whoever comes in afterwards has both got the biggest opportunity but also the biggest challenge to regalvanize britain and give it a sense of purpose i think well it's interesting you mention cameron osborne because you're right i mean park for a moment what they did just talk about their methods one of the interesting things about Cameron and Osborne was that let's say that Cameron was going to see uh, Obama in Washington he'd take Osborne with him you know they were a they were a duumvirate um there wasn't a cigarette paper between them I mean actually funnily enough given Rachel Reeves in my view foolishly ruling out wealth taxes uh this week uh the shadow chancellor one of the few differences between Cameron and Osborne was over the wealth tax because Osborne wanted to push ahead with it um take advantage of you know the fact that they were in coalition with the lib dems and get on with it on the grounds that wealth was under tax and income was over overtaxed uh and cameron just said no way you know our donors will never put up with it but uh, but that was a very rare example of disagreement and it was private so so yeah you're right and what's happened is that that sort of strength of, of of presentation to the world not just to the country but to the world has completely evaporated you know we are unfortunately and i hope it's an impermanent position but we are a joke nation at the moment other than our contributions to the ukraine effort we are regarded as a joke nation and you know that the, there are very very clear reasons for that um, incidentally, I mean, to the list of things that Brexit is responsible for, Wallace, Ben Wallace, wanted to very badly be NATO General Secretary and had all the credentials. But Emmanuel Macron said, no, uh, we need someone from inside the EU, which is not actually an unreasonable objection because of the structure Absolutely. of NATO. Yeah. You know, and Jel Stoltenberg is uh, who's currently general secretary and has been given another year, uh, uh, former Norwegian prime minister outside the EU. So Macron was no, no, the next general secretary has to be someone from inside the EU. So yet again, fascinating. You know, we find another one of those Brexit dividends. You know, mm. it's extraordinary. By the way, ap- apropos nothing except for a very special offer for. Uh, listeners of this this podcast i've been reading the most excellent rory stewart book in proof oh right uh, yeah politics on the edge actually i'll send it to you so you can you can get you'll love it it, um if if anybody was in any doubt about cameron's logic about calling for a referendum he he is absolutely nailed on to the 
well, well-worn well theory, but still not proven, is that Cameron was absolutely convinced that in 2015 there would be another coalition government and the Lib Dems in coalition would get him off the hook from this promise. So that that Tory victory in 2015 was was cataclysmic in, in at least that one big regard. Absolutely. I mean, there's no doubt that he thought it would, the promise in 2013 of the referendum would get UKIP off his back. It didn't, but it, he thought it would. And then he wins. And Osborne and others say, don't do it, don't do it. But by that stage, having won and having, in his view, you know, won the Scottish referendum and various other things, his view was, I'm a winner. You know, that was what he said to people, I'm a winner, which is a terrible delusion for a prime minister to become captive to because no one is axiomatically a winner you know you don't always win if you hold a referendum especially on something like this you don't just win because it's you david cameron leading it so it it was a disaster and you know sadly for him it's what he'll be remembered for well i'm sure he's had plenty of time to reflect on that in his shepherd's hut and the various yeah, super yachts. He no doubt spends his holidays on and stuff and so on and <laughs> so forth. Bit of bitterness thrown in there for free. Let's talk a little bit about Ulez. And yes, only because we've talked about it before in the podcast. But it has, uh, obviously, it's been the week of weeks for Ulez protests. And I've been massively yeah. struck, as I know you have, at the difference. The difference in, in attitude from some of the uh, right-wing press, the male particularly, in their attitude towards the protesters, comparing their attitude towards, say, Extinction Rebellion or Just Stop Oil. They're, they're fully on board with these protesters, aren't they? Oh, these are good protesters. You know, it's, it's hilarious. You've got um, yeah. Ian Duncan Smith, uh, Mr. Law and Order, saying he completely understands the, the, uh, the vandalism of uh, Ule's cameras by his constituents because uh, Ulez is a very bad thing, you know, but he's always the first to, I mean, I I don't know if he said anything about the Notting Hill Carnival or uh, Just Stop All specifically, but, you know, he's the absolute archetypal Tory who is on uh, TV or LBC or something like that saying, you know, this is an absolute outrage, you know, we're the party of law and order. and But for some reason, destroying Ulez's... Um, uh, Ule's cameras and facilities is 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 the action of a true liberty loving Britain and of course what you're seeing here yeah. is yet another cu- front in the culture war opening up which is especially post-covid the Tories think there's a sort of appetite out there for libertarian pro-motorist um, anti uh, net zero action uh, voters and they're going to um, absolutely milk it for all it's worth. I mean, obviously, it's worth pointing out that Ulez is about air pollution rather than climate change, but you know, it's all part of the same uh, portmanteau of, of of policies and measures. And um, it, it, it's it's an alarming step because actually, I think Ulez is a really good policy, and I think that Khan Sadiq Khan, the mayor, is entirely sincere in this, and he has resisted pressure from Keir Starmer, um, who was very much um, unsettled by the uh, Labour's defeat or failure to capture the Uxbridge constituency in the Uxbridge by-election in July. 
and very publicly said, you know, we need to rethink Ulez. And to his credit, I think Sadat, Sadiq Khan stood his ground and said, no, I am going to extend Ulez to the outer boroughs. And the reasons he cited are good mm-hmm. ones, you know, health, but also it's a social justice issue because um, every single study that's been done around the world, but also in this country specifically about air pollution shows that it is always the poorest to get hit worst uh, in terms of health uh, because they live in areas where there's population density, highest traffic and so on. So Khan is saying, look, you know, half of London households don't have a car um, and it's the poor that suffer most. This is only applying to cars that were registered before 2005. You know, you can handle this. And I think the fact that he's showing some stamina and some durability is very much to his credit. And I've got those Ian Duncan Smith quotes. He's talking about people vandalising government property or, or mayoral property. I'm happy for them to do it. They've been lied to, he said. Now, flashback uh, to June, where he was talking about just stop oil protesters. Oh, right, And he right. was encouraging magistrates. Co- yeah, so the one thing that gets them thinking is if you start fining them £1,000 every time they do this kind of thing. You know, so he's absolutely jackbooting down on just stop oil. But if you, if you want to tear down tear down an Ulez camera, then on you go, mate. And, he's, and in June in The Sun, he wrote, Labour is the party of protest and disorder. Astonishingly, the Labour Party has thrown its lot in with the protesters. And here he is saying to the Ulez protesters, I'm, I'm your man, you know. So he wins the Double Think Award of 2023. But I, I agree with you about Ulez. I'm, I think it's a wholly good thing. And you know, obviously change is difficult for people and there will be some people and of course there are anomalous cases where, like for late night shift workers for instance, who might get charged twice if they're crossing a border over midnight and stuff but the reality is is if this is saving lives and and that you know, there's a disproportionate amount of asthmatic deaths in London, which there is, then then it can, the arguments kind of fall away. The thing I Uh, rail against and maybe we should uh, come back to this is the low traffic neighborhoods the ltns which are springing up all over the place and and we live in one and i don't get the logic apart from because wherever there's a low traffic neighborhood it means there's a high traffic neighborhood somewhere and they're moving traffic into other streets and there are streets in islington where i live if, if podcast listeners haven't guessed i lived in islington then then they know now they might have guessed they might have guessed. They are chock full of cars, and many of them have primary schools on the on on them and yeah. stuff like this. And so, I, I think that's a really suspect rule, to be honest. But I, I am all for the conversion to electric cars um, and low polluting, no polluting cars. I think it's just an inevitable change, and the sooner we do it, the better. I think you know what you just expressed, Matt, is a very interesting point, which is. The move to a greener world, the move to a world where the air is decent and, you know, we handle what we do with cars in a sensible way. It's quite a subtle business um, and it requires good faith. Uh, But the thing has become so polarised. So either you're totally on the side of every single, you know, measure or you're totally against it. And actually, this is no way to proceed with an environmental strategy that we need at pace. So actually, I hate to agree with Sunak, but 
he may be right. There is there may be a case for a review of LTNs. Okay, but the problem is that yeah. he said that in the context of immediately after Uxbridge, in a sort of uh, triumphalist mode of, you know, we're going to roll back on net zero, we're going to be pro motorists and all that. So the whole thing gets lost in a culture war argument between green on the one hand and libertarian on the other which is a disaster for policy formation i only hope that if starmer wins the election um he's not drawn into a ultra cautious approach where he feels constantly that he has to appease people who will be no doubt becoming more and more vocal more and more uh you know on the streets and aggressive in their opposition to anything that is pro net zero pro greenery it's i mean this is too important to be you know kind of consigned to the world of politics if you like or certainly populist politics should we should we take a break and come back and talk about let's take a break a controversy on other shows see you in a moment listeners ryan reynolds here from Mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. So, Matt, um, after the great triumph of uh, Spanish women in the World Cup, in the Women's World Cup, England's sadly gallant losers. But, of course, it's been totally dominated, the story, by the story of Luis Rubiales and the kissing of Jenny Hermosa on on, uh, world TV and the fallout ever since. And I... uh, I have very mixed feelings about this. Why don't you pitch in with where you stand? All right. Well, let, let me let me make the you know the the I suppose more orthodox case for the prosecution, which is 
Okay, Luis Rubiales, president of the RFEF, the the the, the, the Spanish uh, Football Federation, on the night of the victory. Uh, you know, great great moment for Spain, not just for Spanish uh, women's sport, Spanish fo- women's football, but you know, for Spain. He grabs uh, Jenny Hermosa, and he he's above her on a platform and he kisses her full on on the lips now there's a pattern of behavior on the night let alone in his past because he he also on the night throws another player Athena de Castillo over his shoulder and he also grabs his crotch in the VIP area in a very Spanish macho way to indicate I think he's uh, signaling to Jorge Villa, the, uh, the, the, the Spanish women's coach, that, you know, the guy has balls. So it's not a great night for Rubiales. Now, before we go into the sort of tangled chronology of what then happened, I think the problem here is this, which is the whole point of Me Too is that for it to work, we have to ditch all those old school defenses which is it was a bit of fun it was heat of the moment where's your sense of humor where's your sense of proportion you know this was an act of very clear masculine domination of a woman and i think that the fact that it's caused such a strong reaction is actually not surprising and i am startled perhaps i shouldn't be that rubiales is still in post over to you yeah, for the morning well, wants I mean, for that's you. That's such a compelling. That if I was facing you in court as a as a KC, I'd be trembling at this stage because I think you've you've nailed. <laughs> you're not. It. And I do think there's there's there's. Well, I'm not really. No, I think there is no doubt that the best course of action for him right now is he has to resign. It's just become utterly mm. absurd. And maybe by the time this podcast gets out, he will have resigned because he is completely isolated. And there is certainly enough. Uh, of a huge question around his behaviour that he has not represented the Royal Spanish Football Federation in the manner that he should have done and he has brought shame onto the onto the sport at its greatest moment. The thing that I'm a bit uncomfortable about is, and it, we touched on it with the Hugh Edwards story before Hugh Edwards' uh, name came out, is the... We had a domestic about that. ...absolute tidal wave of um, opinion that makes it any defence impossible. And I do think that everybody is entitled to make a case for themselves. And I, would, I think whether, you know, all he's come out and he said it was consensual, that she said it was okay, and there's clearly some confusion over, in his head, uh, over whether or not he was doing something wrong. Because I would ask the question... If you're going to sexually assault somebody, do you do it with two billion people watching on television? Probably not. But there clearly is a pattern of absolute arrogance uh, with this guy, which was clearly exemplified in his uh, that that infamous speech now where he said, I will not resign. I will not resign. Mm. What I would notice is is look at the uh, audience when he makes that speech. They're all clapping. You know, you've got your women sitting on their hands. But if you look at 90% of the men, they're all clapping. And the point I'd make is, and where I'm uncomfortable, is that I always hate it when somebody is made an example of um, and is crucified um, to such a complete level 
to make an example for others to follow. And I've, I find that uncomfortable because none of us are perfect and we've all made mistakes. And when you become the, the focus of that crucifixion because you are just the wrong person at the wrong place at the wrong time, as I think this guy is, and I'm not making any plea for mitigation for what he did. What he did was obviously wrong and, uh, and, he, and he deserves to lose his job for sure. But I do hate it. It makes it makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable when an individual is crucified like this instantly and can't make a defence for himself effectively. Well, hold on a second. Not only does he get to make a defence for himself at great and, um, you know, slightly deranged length, but the uh, RFEF threatened to sue Jenny Hermosa for daring to say that it wasn't consensual. So the crucifixion, to use your phrase, there are two crosses up there, right? It's not just, um, as it were, Rubiales being, you know, surrounded by a woke mob, for want of a better phrase, and told, you know, away with you. You've actually got the woman in question being subjected to legal threats from the Federation for not falling into line. And the real problem with this, I think was that they and Rubiales himself jumped the gun by putting words in her mouth because she didn't say, I consented to it. Quite the contrary, uh, but they uh, press-released and insisted that she had. She said, I didn't. I didn't consent to it. I, I felt very uncomfortable. And they said, right, you are going to face legal action. So there's crucifixion on both sides. And I think there's something... Yeah ugly in in that and the other thing i'd say and as you know i'm uh trying to earn my spurs as a football expert right (laughs) under your tutelage uh i mean i think it is fair to say is it not that he has lost the dressing room right since just about every just about every spanish uh woman player has said they won't play under the current leadership and you know, it, it, it's Vila, Jorge Vila, the uh, the manager, has um, having you know uh, initially stood by Rubiales, has courageously decided that uh, he didn't support him all along. Yeah. So it's a, a yeah. mess, and you're right. It it only leads to one thing, but the but the tragedy for the Spanish women's side, along with the initial act of um, uh, of, of kind of you know uh, harassment, abuse, whatever you want to call it is that um, it's completely taken the shine off what was an, a spectacular, I mean, shame for us because we were supporting the Lionesses, but yeah. it, was a, it was a really impressive victory. But if, if, let, me, let me make one final point, which, and again, just to underscore that, I'm, I'm not defending what he did. I'm just defending his right to have a, co- a slightly calmer atmosphere and some process around what will inevitably end up as his dismissal. That is probably his fault, the way he's gone about it. But my point is that he is very much part of a broader problem in Spanish society, which isn't just about sexism, but racism as well. I've worked in Spain for several years, and there are are deep-rooted problems in in their society that we wouldn't recognise. I don't know if you remember, was it the 2008, going off to Beijing, and they were all 
doing slanty eye uh, jokes on yeah. in the official photograph of this. You know that that didn't shock me. I, I was I wasn't surprised at that uh, because that's what Spain can be like. So in a sense, I think two things. One is we've all said what a shame that this story has overtaken the the spin. Well, if this if this story becomes part of a, a sea change in Spanish society, then what better legacy could that World Cup football win have? One thing. But two, I do think focusing on Rubiales as an individual and focusing on that kiss as a specific moment in time is a mistake. I think they've got to address much broader issues. And if if anybody thinks that crucifying Rubiales is going to... Uh, instigate a me too movement in spain i think they're being very optimistic i think it, it runs a lot deeper than it 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 does uh, in other in other countries especially in europe anyway that's my top and yeah it has it has it has to be it has to be a symbol rather than uh, just a a way of pushing the whole issue aside but i think i think it, i think it will be I, I mean on the issue of crucifixion i'd say that you know uh rubiales put at least three of the nails in himself right so you know uh it, it, <laughs> he, he, he it's auto crucifixion actually you can only put in two can't you just to be, on the, to be strict strictly accurate about auto crucifixion yeah. but the other, the other thing that just just strikes me just as a sort of thought experiment is imagine that gareth southgate is promoted to chief executive of the fa and the women's uh, team wins you know the, the the euros for the sake of argument you just cannot imagine gareth southgate doing the same to lauren james or alex greenwood and i think you no, know if we're going to be new europeans right we can't say oh you know spaniards are, are all bullfighters and machismo and it's it's like you know there has to be a sort of commonality of decency that's that's all i think really which is that i'm not yeah, impressed by okay. the arguments that you know rubiales is a he's a bullfighter you know and he's a macho man bollocks you know he's a he's a sexist pig and he's going to get what's coming to him i think okay well that's <laughs> on that bombshell defensive. i think by the way we we <laughs> are both agreed that he's a sexist pig there's no yeah. two ways about that it's just yeah. how you go about addressing it is my is my question that's all okay so, Matt, what didn't we have time to talk about? Well, actually, you you brought up something which really made me go away and dig and think, which was, um, well, you talk about it. Well, the RSPB you're talking about. Yeah. The RSPB, which is obviously the charity that looks after the, um, the interests of birds primarily and also more broadly nature and the countryside. They have big uh, interest in, in that, obviously, with the environment being so essential to bird life. They sent out a, a, a tweet, a really stinging tweet. It was so stinging it could have come from the, the Twitter channel of the New European. It was like calling Sunak and Theresa Coffey liars and saying they've betrayed uh, the environment. And, uh, you know, it was really full on. I thought it was great. I yeah. thought it was terrific. It's wonderful, wasn't it? I, 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 well, I just thought, you know, if you feel strongly about something, then bloody well say it, you know. Uh, but... This morning on the Today programme, the chief executive of the RSPB was on saying that it was inappropriate to target individuals and they should instead target 
the policy and that she was concerned about the state of public discourse. And I too am concerned about the state of public discourse in that people are not calling out the villains as much as they should be. And I thought, you know, yeah. the RSPB should think again and, and be more on the front foot about saying, no, mate, it's you, Rishi Sunak. It's you, Theresa Coffey, who are leading this damage. And Michael Gove as well. Well, how do lies happen? Liars tell them that's how they happen liars in high public office and i think that one of the things is that i get that for you know obscure ancestral reasons uh, it's impossible for mps to call each other liars in the house of commons right but that doesn't shouldn't curtail the rest of us and you know we live in a uh, an era when to say the least politicians play fast and loose with the truth and i don't think there should be a kind of um, a veto on use of the word liars. Quite, quite the contrary. I think we should use it more often. What else did we uh, did we miss this week? Well, it was interesting to read um, that Nadim Zahawi, very briefly, Chancellor of the Exchequer, who had to leave government uh, rather hastily because of difficulties over tax, now appears to be advising the Barclay family over the uh, sale of the Telegraph Group. Uh, on, they want to buy it back. They say they've secured the necessary line of credit. This would be an astonishing uh, turn of fortune. Lloyds, who are running the, the sale, say that they're not interested, so it may no, not go anywhere. But, of course, the, the, the bigger question is, you know, what, what the hell is Zahawi doing um, in the middle of all this? And apparently, if it was successful, he would become chair of the Telegraph Group, which is a very peculiar mm. arrangement. So, again, it, it, it's the other revolving door, isn't it, where there's this, con- there's this unhealthily close relationship between um, yeah. newspapers and politicians, I think. Um, I, hope it's, I hope that yeah, I relationship is severed, actually. I really do. Um, I was, I was, we've had an era yeah. where the, the, you know, they've been very close, but I hope it ends. I was reading some of the comments on Mark Thompson, who happens to be a, an investor in the New European, but was also obviously the former director general of the BBC, chief executive of the New York Times, and is now the new boss at CNN, which desperately needs turning around. And Mark was talking Excellent about choice. part of really the problem good in media. Excellent. Top, top, top guy. Mark was talking about the problem of everybody thinking politicians are, are bent and corrupt but the reality is that they all also think the media are part of that same cabal and that it's all part of a big it's all part of a big elite and you have to cut that cord i hope very much that the new european is playing a small part in in cutting that cord because there's no way anyone could point at us and say we're part of the establishment because we uh we slag the establishment off every single week and wouldn't it be great to see cnn restored to its former glory in an election year i mean what an opportunity they've got you know under mark's leadership it's gonna be fingers crossed because i you know and all the best to him you know i think it's going to be really interesting to see how he does good luck mark thompson okay folks i hope you've enjoyed the podcast thank you again for listening and please uh tell all your friends about it if you enjoy it if you don't like it tell nobody remember we have a special deal uh for listeners of the two mats and it's a subscription to the new european and when you subscribe from just one pound a week uh you will get a free signed copy of rory stewart's new book politics on the edge and i i've got to tell you i have read it i've almost finished it it is beautifully written as you would expect with rory stewart but it's a it's a fabulous insight into a very rocky period of time 
in politics. And to no, get that offer it. for just one pound a week or two pound a week, if you like to get the newspaper delivered to your door every week, you just go to theneweuropean.co.uk forward slash two mats. That's the number two M-A-T-T-S, theneweuropean.co.uk forward slash two mats. And there's a link in the show notes. Thank you, as always, to the third Matt, our producer, Matt Hill at Rethink Audio. And until next week, it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from him. Goodbye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. That's the sound of another sale on Shopify. In store. Shopify POS is everything you need to sell in person. From payments to inventory, Shopify unites your sales into one commerce platform. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash retail 23. Shopify.com slash retail 23. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.